0: we looked at the plan for this year and what we would cover in this meeting, uh, we had no idea just what the news would be, what would unfold, and how important the subject that we're going to look at this morning is in terms of being a church in a city like Birmingham with all its diversity, what does it really mean for us to be a church for the city and to be a blessing for the city? To help us understand this, we're going to look at a story from the book of Acts. Uh, Rich O'Carroll, who I'll introduce to you, is going to follow me. Our aim simply this morning uh, is that we want to inspire us to what God has called us to do, but it'd be ever so practical in terms of what that looks like. The story we're going to look at is from Acts 10. I'm going to tell it to you. It's too long to read this morning is probably one of the most important stories in the Bible following the coming of Jesus, because it addresses this very issue. It involves Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, the one who had filled with the Holy Spirit preached on that day after the Holy Spirit was poured out, that famous story at the book of Acts. And there's Peter preaching. Many people come to know Jesus, but they're all Jewish people putting their faith. They're from different nations but they are predominantly Jewish people. And the church has remained predominantly Jewish, despite Jesus saying to them before he ascended, look, this message, this is for everyone. I want everyone to know about this. This is bigger than one nation. All the promises that have been given, they're fulfilled in me. Now please, disciples, please, new community, new church, make this known everywhere. I don't want it just looking like us It's got to look different. And Peter and the early church still haven't got that message. So God does this. Acts 10 there's a man called Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier. In fact, he's a centurion. He commands a unit. For Jewish people, he's the occupier, he's the ruler, he's the one who's invaded, he's the one who's charging high taxes, he's the enemy. What's more, he's a Gentile, and Israel had never fully understood that the promises they had been given weren't to make them exclusive, proud, special. We're God's people, thank you much, very much. Not a Jew? You can't come in, because we're the people of God. That's what they'd done with it, instead of being a blessing to the nations and welcoming them. They had taken the message of blessing and made it something exclusive. Therefore, they looked down on Gentiles. They were unclean. They were dirty. They didn't associate with them. And a Gentile Roman soldier who's occupying their land, that's even more offensive to them. The difficulty is for Cornelius, what we find out about him, is he fears God. Somehow he's got some knowledge of this God who created the earth, and he fears him. And he uses his wealth to care for poor people. So one day... He has a vision. The Holy Spirit comes to him and appears to uh, gives him a vision. And in his vision, he sees an angel. And this angel says, Cornelius, God wants you to know he's heard your prayers. He has seen your acts of kindness. Now send for Peter, because you need to hear from him. Cornelius didn't know Peter, didn't know who he was. Maybe he'd heard stories about the disciples. But he's got no relationship with Peter. So he sends some people to fetch Peter, this Roman centurion, this soldier, this ruler, sends for Peter. Meanwhile, Peter is hungry. He's gone up on the roof to pray while he's waiting for the food to come. And the Holy Spirit, note that, comes to him and gives him a vision. And in this vision, while Peter's waiting for lunch, this huge blanket, this huge sheet comes down from heaven. And on this sheet are all kinds of birds, reptiles, animals. They're all unclean things. They're all things that in the Jewish law, you're not allowed to touch, you're not allowed to eat. If you touch them, you will become unclean. And Peter's looking at this, disgusted. What, what am I seeing? All this disgust. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my cheese sandwich. I'm feeling, I want something decent to eat. Why am I dreaming? Why am I having a vision of dirty, unclean things? It gets worse for Peter because God says to him, Get up, kill one of those things, and eat it. Peter's conscience is reeling. He knows what God's voice sounds like, he's heard God speak to him. He knows this is God and God's telling him to do something totally against his upbringing, totally against the law, totally against what it means to please God and totally against his conscience. This isn't about Peter changing his diet. This isn't about Peter broadening his menu for lunch. This is turning Peter's world upside down. And all his prejudices and all his preferences are being challenged. Peter says, God, you know I would never touch anything which is unclean. You've said not to. You know me, God. You know I wouldn't do this. And God speaks to him again. And he says this, don't you call something unclean that I have called clean. So what God says to him in the story. Peter's head must be reeling. What do you mean what you call clean? Look, there's loads of verses. I wouldn't have had verses then. But there's loads of verses in that book called Leviticus that Moses wrote saying, don't touch this, don't eat this, don't do this. If you do this, you're unclean. Go out the camp for seven days. Wash your hands, wash your body, sacrifice something. Kick. What do you mean what you've called clean? All of these things are unclean. And he argues with God. And he's arguing not because he's arrogant. He's arguing because these are issues around his conscience. These are issues that are deeply challenging for Peter, what it means to be a God follower, what it means to honour him. And the voice comes again. And it says in the story, this happened three times, and each time Peter argues. Just as he's wondering about this, there's a knock on the door. It's the men from Cornelius. Peter gets up to go downstairs to greet them. As he does so, the Holy Spirit, again, says to Peter, Peter, I want you to go with these men. I have sent you you must go with them. Because Peter wouldn't have done. Why would he visit a Roman centurion? Peter's reputation, what other people would think. Have you heard what the Apostle Peter's doing? You know, the guy that stood on Pentecost, preached about Jesus. Have you seen who he's groveling up to? Have you seen he's hanging out with the Romans now? I thought he was a good Jew. He's now dirtying himself. Peter needed the Holy Spirit to tell him to go and be with Cornelius. So Peter goes with them. His conscience is in turmoil again because he gets invited into the house and gets to sit and eat and be with Cornelius and his family. Jews didn't do that with Gentiles. You don't go in the house and you definitely don't eat with them. Peter gets to hear Cornelius' story. Cornelius says, Peter, a few days ago I had a vision and told me to send for you. And Peter begins to understand what the dream meant of the sheep and what was clean and what was unclean. And as he understood that God had been talking to Cornelius, he began to understand that the Gentiles were not unclean. That what God was talking about wasn't the ceremonial law. What God was talking about was people. And the racism that the law had become of the Jews looking down on Gentiles and looking at their enemies and saying we must have nothing to do with them. So Peter starts to teach about Jesus. He's beginning to understand these people need to hear about Jesus. And Peter isn't even halfway through his sermon when it gets even more offensive because the Holy Spirit says, thanks very much, Peter, I'll take it from here, and fills Cornelius and the whole household with power from heaven. And Peter and Cornelius and his household are speaking in tongues and encountering the joy and wonder of the Holy Spirit. And Peter is standing there thinking, I haven't finished teaching. Thank you, Jesus had a really good message lined up. You thought the one in uh, the beginning of Acts was good, where 3,000 people, I've got even better now, but I don't get to finish it, because the Holy Spirit seems to have taken over. And Peter realises that actually God wants the Gentiles to know him too. And even those we were considered to be enemies need to know the love and mercy of Jesus. So Peter says, clearly God has accepted you. Who am I not to do that? And he has them baptised. This is such a big deal. Peter has to go to Jerusalem to meet the other church leaders and explain to them what has happened. And this is what he says to them, if we can put that scripture up from Acts chapter 11. So he tells them the story and he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it did at us at the beginning, at the beginning of that book, what we call the book of Acts. Just as we experience the Holy Spirit, here's Cornelius, a Roman centurion, an enemy, the oppressor, a Gentile. And the Holy Spirit falls on him. And I remembered the word of the Lord Jesus. How he said, John baptised with water, you'll be baptised, filled, immersed with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus. Listen. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? God was doing something to Peter that was new, but actually it's what had been promised to Abraham. And it's what was going to fulfill what we see in the book of Revelation, that the gospel is for all peoples in all places, from all backgrounds, from all languages, and all social classes. The story wasn't just about Peter's conscience. It was about fulfilling the promises given to Abraham. It was about fulfilling the purposes of why Jesus came, and it was about what the church should be. What can we learn from this story that can help us be God's people in Birmingham? What can we learn from this story that can help Church Central be the people that God wants us to be when diversity, when immigration, when the refugee crisis is such at the fore of everything that is happening at the moment? What does this story teach us about what it means to be the church? Firstly, The gospel crosses barriers. That's the whole point. That's what the gospel is. That's why it's good news. Wickedness, selfishness, sin, racism, our own personal preferences, um, money, education can all create barriers. All make people seem that they're better or higher or worth more than others. And the gospel came to break that and to say, no, we're all made in the image of God. And it's nothing to do with your education, your background, your class or your social standing. We all need Jesus, and only the gospel can overcome those barriers, even tragically, as we're seeing this week. Political debate, education, doesn't do it in the end. Only the gospel does. And the gospel came not simply to restore you to a relationship with God, but came to restore relationships to one another and to people who aren't like us. We cannot only be a church predominantly made up of one social standing, of, of one background, or of one language, and say this demonstrates what Jesus has done. Jesus himself crossed the biggest barrier when he left the presence of his heavenly father and came to earth, when he left perfection and holiness and righteousness and came to live in this sin-infested world. And he said, follow me. Following Jesus means we don't just sit, worship, sing songs, hang out with and eat with people like us. It means we do what Jesus did and cross those barriers. And that's what Peter needed to learn and understand. And it took a revolution in his thinking for him to get that. Next, the Holy Spirit initiated this. The Holy Spirit pushed, spoke, led, drew out Peter to this point, spoke to Cornelius. The Holy Spirit is operating all the way through this story. It's like, this has got to happen, it's got to happen, it's got to happen. We're 10 chapters in Since Jesus told you all of this and you still haven't got it. Now, come on, wake up. There's a gospel to get to the ends of the earth. Come on, Peter. Acts chapter 2, as we call it, was amazing. 3,000. But they're all like you, Peter. That's not the point it to those who aren't like you what about your enemies what about the gentiles what about the romans they're not just the occupier they're god's children made in his image yes bringing wickedness in but that's the point i want to rescue them now come on peter wake up stop resting in your prejudice and calling it law and calling it what it means to honor me and understand i want you to go to them the holy spirit pushed this and he's pushing us too peter's words when he reflected back to the rest of the leaders who am i To stand in God's way. Living in a city like Birmingham, we have such a phenomenal opportunity to demonstrate what the world needs to see and hear. Let's not stand in God's way. Let's not let our preferences, our prejudices, our own comforts, our own kind of restrictions in our own culture and language hold us back from being followers of Jesus and crossing the barriers. Next, we see God is already working. When you do step out, when you do step out of your comfort zone, you find God's ahead of you. So it's amazing. Cornelius, who we would look at and think, well, he's a Roman, he's an enemy, he's the oppressor, he's a soldier, he's a Gentile. This is going to be hard work to win him. And Peter steps in, finds God's already there. Jesus is already working. Cornelius already seems to know him. Doesn't know about Jesus, but knows about God, knows about the importance of caring for the poor. Listen, as we step out of our comfort zones, as we go to people not like us all around this city and our universities and our workplaces, as we go into their homes, invite us into their homes, do you know what will surprise you? You'll find Jesus is there already. Yeah, Jesus has been with us here this morning. Oh, his presence is beautiful. But I can guarantee you his presence is even sweeter and even greater when you and I step out of our comfort zones and go to places where we don't feel comfortable and hang out with people not like us. I can guarantee you'll find Jesus there. You'll find wickedness. You'll find brokenness. You will find hurt, sadness, and pain. But that's where Jesus lives, and he needs us to bring healing. And Peter needed to understand that. Finally, it's Peter who needed to change, and we're the same. Peter needed to have his prejudice explained to him. He needed to have his prejudice shown to him. As one author says, we won't put the quote up, um, but as one author says, you know who took the greatest persuasion to convert? Was it the Roman centurion? Cornelius or was it Peter? It was actually Peter that was converted in this story. It was actually Peter who needed to change, and his prejudice that needed to be shown for what they were. And if we're honest, really honest, we much prefer to hang out with people like us. We much prefer to hang out with people who eat the same food as us, support the same teams as us, listen to the same music as us, shop in the same places as us, because it's just easier. It's just comfortable. Christian community isn't close relationships with people like us. That's not Christian community. Hear a lot of people talk about community in the church and wanting to be close and have good friendships. We're not called to that. Oh, yeah, we're called to love one another, of course. Nothing wrong with friendships and closeness and being able to have people you can be open with and just accept you as you are. That's not what we're called to. What we're called to is to take the intimacy and community we have with God and take that into places where it isn't. That's what we're called to. And you and I have to get out of our comfort zones and sit with people and eat with people or visit with people where we think, I've got a clue what to say. I'm not even sure I'm going to ask what music they listen to. I don't even know if they shop in the same places that I shop. But just as God, Peter found the Holy Spirit was already there, as we do this, we will find that the Holy Spirit is already there and he will help us. You think, God, give me the strategies now. God, give me what I need to know now. God, give me the words that I need. We'll say, well, why? You're sitting with your mates. When you go there, I'll give you what you need. When you go there, you'll find I'm with you. When you go there, I'll show you how easy this is and how those barriers can be overcome. We are the ones that need to change. And as we do that, and as we step out of our comfort zones, just like Peter, we will find Jesus is there and Jesus is already working. Richard Carroll, do you want to come up? Um, while Rich is coming, um, not all of you will know Richard. Richard has been part of this church for many years, but a few years ago we sent him to the Middle East, where this call to be people not like us took Pete Rich to another nation. And uh, next year, beginning of next year, he will move to Beirut with his uh, wife and son, Joseph. Um, where's Helen? Uh, Helen, give us a wave. Helen, stand up. Some of you know Helen, but I want to join this all up. Uh, in the beginning of the autumn, Helen is going to go out to the Middle East to join Rich and the team. There's other people going too from other churches, but Helen is going. And uh, yeah, very, very, very appropriate. Um, and just to profile that and say, please keep praying for this and keep asking Helen what she needs. We've still got to raise support for her because she's got to spend a couple of years learning language. She can't get a job straight away. We need money for that. Um, so Helen is going to be on Rich's team. But instead of asking Rich, what's this like in the Middle East? I've asked Rich to speak for a few minutes uh, about what's this like here. How do we live a lifestyle that reaches people not like us? Rich.
1: All right. So I'm going to I'm going to speak really quick, hopefully, and um, hopefully some of this stuff will stick. So that's kind of my plan. That that just I'll give you loads of practical things that we've learned through uh, lots of trial and error and mistakes um, and joys, and hopefully some of that will stick with you. So. Um, so one thing we've learned um, in the Middle East, actually, but also here, when we talk to people about becoming followers of Jesus, most of the people we speak to are Arabic speakers. Um, when I was here, most of them were Kurdish speakers and Farsi speakers. And they would always say, well, how can I be a follower of Jesus? Because I'm not from Britain, you know, or I'm not from Washington, or I don't speak English very well like you. And um, and then, I, and, you know, I thought about that a lot. And. One of the things I realized was, and I love to share this now, is um, 100 years ago, three-quarters of Christians in the world spoke English and came from northwest uh, Europe and America. Now, three-quarters of Christians in the world don't speak English. You know, that's amazing, isn't it? Three-quarters of the world don't speak English, and they're not from north uh, Europe and and America. Three-quarters of the world. So there's a big, big change. The average Christian, I tell them now, if you look at it statistically, the average Christian in the world at the moment is a Chinese peasant farmer. That's your average Christian. They don't come to cinemas. Um, although this is great, I'm going to take this back. I've got an idea for Beirut. Um, but they don't look like me. If you go back a little bit further, I like to tell people um, there was a guy who was important in, in Christianity called Calvin. He was French. Before him, Luther, Martin Luther, he was German. He didn't speak English. Before him, if you go further back, you get Augustine, quite famous. Do you know where Augustine's from? He's from Algeria. Just before him, there's a guy called Tertullian who came up with the way of talking about the Trinity. Tertullian was from Tunisia. If you go back further, you hit an even more important person, uh, important person in Christianity, called Jesus. Okay, Jesus didn't speak English. Jesus was. Jewish-Palestinian. Probably never left his country, just about. Um, And then if you go even further back, there's an important guy called Abraham. Abraham was from Iraq. So I like to tell them, don't think that you need to become like me to follow Jesus. (laughs) Actually, most people in the world are like you, following Jesus. And actually, I wanted to share that because I think if we're not convinced that the people who are different from us will follow Jesus, we won't sustain that. And I want to encourage you, actually, I think probably one of the hardest groups of people to reach in the world today are people that have got um, money, well-educated, their life's quite stable, and they're not sure God exists. And they're the people like us. Um, so hopefully that will just tease you a bit and hopefully encourage you that I think there's probably more likelihood that someone who is different from me will be open to following Jesus. but they 're different from me, so getting practical, one of the things we do is we visit people and we eat their food it 's really practical. Um, the gift of hospitality we 've thought about it a lot my wife 's got it um, we don 't think it 's actually about inviting people to come and hang out with us who we like we 've found the gift of hospitality is about their need, not our convenience, in any setting. so it happens in our house because most of the time honestly. I don't really like or enjoy people coming to our house and staying for hours. But Judy does. And she always says, no, it's about their need. It's not about our convenience. Um, one of the first people I saw come to faith here in Britain that was very different from me, the first person I ever saw come to faith um, and start a little group was a homeless person. Um, maybe you were homeless in the past um, and God's changed your life around and, and God wanted to change this homeless person. And I sat with him and talked to him. He gave his life to Jesus, brought a bunch of his friends to church, didn't fit in we went out across the street and they got filled with the holy spirit and it did something in me i thought yeah god is with everybody another thing we do is jesus said when you go to people eat their food that was his advice so when we go to people in their house in their cafe in their restaurant we eat their food and we tell them we love it because we do and it does something in them. They think, hey, here's someone from not my culture coming to me and eating my food. I think it's much easier to visit someone. So it's much harder to visit someone than to be visited. Because you have to get out of your comfort zone. And so if I invite you to my house, I know what's going to happen. But if you invite me to your house, I don't know what's going to happen. So the gift of hospitality. When we find someone who's different from us, we take the inconvenience. We go to them. We need to step out of our comfort zone before we expect them to step out of their comfort zone. And it probably doesn't happen once. we have to do it a while, and they get to know us, and then eventually they come back. Most of the stuff we've done in the Middle East where we've been seeing people come to faith has been in their homes because that's where they're most comfortable. Um, so we need to get out of our comfort zone. Jesus said that, go, enter their house, eat their food, let your peace rest on them. Oh, not their piece. Your piece goes into their house and rests on them. Um, giving gifts, we do that a lot. So if they've got kids, we take gifts. It says in Proverbs, a gift opens the way. So take coloring book for the kids, give chocolate to the family. Sometimes you don't know what to give, so we just, I'll tell you a secret, we go to the supermarket and buy their food. So if they like kebab, we'll buy a kebab and take it round. We say, oh, I didn't know what you wanted, but here you go. And they love it, because they think, oh, you've thought about us. So it's not a big Difficult thing to think, what should we bring? Um, We just buy their food. Um, We always set dates. So just a couple of weeks ago, we were in Woking, and we met this Arab couple, some Syrian refugees. And we're quite busy, and Judy's just about to have a baby and stuff. And Judy pushed me out of the way and grabbed them and said, oh, we want to come and visit you in your house tomorrow at 9 o'clock. And they said, okay, come. And then we call them that day. We get their number and call them in the morning and say, we're so looking forward to seeing you tonight. We're coming around at nine o'clock. We're so excited just to keep it moving. So we set specific date, specific time, call them the day before. And we find that that opens the way um, with anybody. Um, love their children. One of the people I didn't think God would open doors to was millionaires. But God's opened many doors to millionaires for, for me and Judy and, and billionaires or a billionaire. And I don't know how you relate to millionaires and billionaires, but we found when you love their children, they love you. Because they love their children. So when we go to the house, we love their children. We're kind to their children. We compliment them on their children. And they love us for doing that. It's a way of honoring them. Um, Just quickly, third place. Sometimes it's hard to go to someone's house because you don't know them. So one of the things I did in Birmingham, I found Iranian restaurants, and we'll go and sit in the restaurant, eat the food pay for it take a book this is a top tip take a book with the name of their country in on the top and then if no one speaks to you you can read the book but but when people see you in their restaurant with a book with their country name oh what are you reading i love your culture can you explain it to me and it gets the conversation going and then go back there a few times get to know them they start to give you free food free iranian food free kurdish food free brazilian food you know um And then you just get a relationship going. So a third place, rather than your home or theirs, can often be a helpful way of doing that. Plus, you can guess where they're going to be. You know, if you want to reach Somalis, go to a Somali restaurant, take a book with Somalia. You're their best friend. Um, School gates, you know, same. Try and stand by the certain kind of people. Um, And then be expressive. We found people always say to me, Judy, why are you so sad? I'm quite happy. Well, you're not speaking. So we've learned to speak constantly. So when we go around to someone, we compliment them all the time. And I think it's about that comfort zone thing. If someone comes to visit you in your house, you think, oh, are we doing everything right? We don't know. So are they. So when you say, oh, I love your food, please will you teach me how to cook your food? I'll come tomorrow and you can teach me. They love it. Last week I learned, I'm not very good at cooking. Last week I learned how to cook Syrian food at this this, uh, Syrian guy's house. When we went around to their house, I told him I teach the Bible. He said, oh, and started speaking Arabic. And it was the Psalms. And he'd memorized the Psalms. He's Muslim. He'd memorized the Psalms. And then I said, can I pray for you? And this is our last point. We pray for people. Short prayers. Angela Kem taught me that. Pray short prayers. So I said, can I pray to bless you? He said, yeah. So I said, God bless them. Amen. And I opened my eyes and he was in tears and his wife was crying. Um, And now he's asked us for a Bible um, and connected us with his family who live in Lebanon. Um, So the power of prayer, short prayers. So those are some practical things that we've learned. Most important thing is hospitality. Get out of your comfort zone and go into theirs, which is what Jesus did.